This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Morning. And yes, you can have a seat. It's a great day to be in church, don't you think? Oh, you can do way better than that. It's a great day to be in church, isn't it? Yeah, there you go. I hope that you came ready to make an investment in your family. Are you ready to do that? I'm ready to do that. Some of you right away are saying, I'm an old duffer. My family's all gone. You know, they are what they are. I've already invested in them. And so, you know, I'm kind of on the family retirement plan. Okay? I want to call you back to active duty. Okay, because every single person in this room this morning is a member of a family. And that means God has a role that he wants to fill in that family through you. And if you don't step up to the plate in active duty and step into that role, your family will never be what it could be. Because part of that family is you. So I want to call you to that this morning. I hope you came excited. I can tell you that of all the subjects that I get to talk about as a pastor, this is one that gets gets my blood going, gets me excited as much as any other subject that I ever get to speak about. And I believe it's one of the subjects that's closest to God's heart. Because as God chooses to relate to us over and over and over again throughout Scripture, He calls us his father. That, my friends, is a family term, isn't it? Yeah. And you know what he says? You are my what? My sons and my daughters. That's a family term. So so let's get prepared over the next five weeks to have a life-changing experience as we walk through this. For those of you who are new this morning, my name is Ron. If I haven't had a chance to meet you on the way in, I'm going to hang out in the lobby on the way out. So uh, please come by and say hello. I would love to meet you, get to know you just a little bit. You are not here by accident. All of us, none of us is here by accident. God has something he wants to accomplish in our lives. So we welcome you along on that journey. Now, in order to do that effectively this morning, I want to invite you to take your program and out of your program... You can pull this sheet that says teaching notes. It's got fill in the blanks on both sides. And then you're going to need one other thing, and that is this card that says start here on this side, and it says connect on the other side. You're going to need the side that says connect. So why don't you pull both of those out right now. Take the pencil from the chair where you are there and get ready to learn. I want to start with sort of three things that I hope we can agree on right up front. And the first thing that I want us to agree on is that we will not be satisfied to be just ordinary families. You know, if you're satisfied to be an ordinary family, you could probably just get up, walk out, and go home. Okay? Because you can be ordinary without trying, correct? Yeah, that's what we are when we don't try. We're just ordinary. But if we can agree up front that we will not be satisfied to be just ordinary families. Let me give you a statistic uh, about ordinary families. In ordinary families, 
53% of the marriages end in divorce. Are you okay with that? Are you willing to look at your children and say, I'm cool if more than half of them get divorced? No, even if you've been through a divorce, I know that one of the things that you want for your children is that they wouldn't have to go through the pain that you had to go through during that time. 53%. By the way, here's another thing, and I know that we have some of these people in our audience this morning, so I don't mean to throw you under the bus. But did you know of the medical personnel, the two groups that have the highest percentage of divorce? Psychiatrists? Marriage counselors. <laughs> that might be a problem. <laughs> you see, if we're getting our advice from the wrong places and taking our cues from the wrong people, that, that could be a real problem. Now, I want you to know that this, the statistic that I just gave you, about 53%, that's not just a marriage uh, uh, statistic. That's actually a family statistic. I'm going to show you why. If that were a recent thing that happened only in the last few years, it would be a marriage statistic. But because that statistic has been relatively static now for several decades, what that tells us is that we are raising children that by and large are incapable of supporting marriage for a lifetime. And that, my friends, is a family statistic. Wow. So do you want to be ordinary or extraordinary? I want to be extraordinary. I want my kids to be extraordinary. I want my grandkids to be extraordinary. I want my nieces and my nephews to be extraordinary. And to whatever degree I can influence them, I want my cousins to be extraordinary. Because I, I want us to be able to turn that statistic around. And we can in our own families if we work at it. Number two. Second thing that we should agree on is that extraordinary families operate correctly most of the time. Extraordinary families are not perfect. I, I've heard even Christian people look at a family or two and go, oh, no one could live up to what they do. As if somehow they had Jesus in them. Well, think about that for a minute. Doesn't every Christian family have Jesus in them? Yeah. Listen, 51% to 49% is good enough to win a presidential election. But it's not good enough to have an extraordinary family. You can't operate effectively 51% of the time and 49% of the time be at each other's throats and have anything but an ordinary family. You say, but pastor, you're setting the standards so high. No, I'm not. Most of you drove here this morning. Are you content to be in your own lane 51% of the time and out of it 49? Are you willing to share the roads with people who do that? No, because you expect to be in your lane more than 90% of the time. Am I right about that? Yes. So you got to expect as your family 
to be in your lane, doing what you're supposed to be doing, operating effectively with kindness as the rule that's ruling your house and unselfishness and loving and forgiving and all of those things, you've got to be there over 90% of the time. But you don't have to be perfect because we're all human beings and none of us is anywhere close to perfect when it comes to that. Let's go to number three. Number three is this. Our family life has the power to influence its members <coughs> more than all other influences combined. Years and years of statistical research has shown <coughs> that more than the schools your children attend, more than the culture that your children are raised in, <coughs> more than their other family friends, their other kids that gather around them, if you manage your family correctly, it has more influence on how your children turn out than all other influences combined but I want to throw that net out just a little wider. It also has the most influence on your life. You want to be a happy person? Do family well. You want to be miserable? And I know you don't. Don't do family well. I look at it like this. The boat that you have takes you through life, and the people who are in it are the people that you share life with. Well, guess what? Your family are the people in your boat. If you want to enjoy the trip, make friends of them. Does that make sense? Because you're stuck with them. And there's precious little you can do about that, except make friends with them. So we're going to talk about that. Those are three of the foundational principles. And so I want to call us to a moment of prayer before we jump into what these five commitments of extraordinary families are. <clears throat> Father, we are here this morning to make an investment in our families and ultimately, by extension, in ourselves and in your family. So would you teach us now through your word, open our hearts that we could hear and understand, and then would you work in our lives as we leave this place so that we might go and actually make a difference in the families that you have placed us in. We pray it in Jesus' name. Everybody said... Amen. Commitment number one of extraordinary families is this. We will put family first. Can you say that out loud with me? Ready? We will put family first. I'm going to teach you two ways for us to do that today. <clears throat> Point us to a couple of, of passages of Scripture and then call us to obedience to that. So the first way, that, that the first thing that's going to be necessary for us to put family first is we're going to have to do some value. We're going to have to train each of the members in our family to value our family above their own personal desires. You and I were born in the midst of a tug of war. We have actually two different natures in us and one nature that is given to us by God <clears throat> is a good nature, it's actually tied most closely to our conscience. 
And our conscience continually calls us to do things that are good, that are right, and that are, get this carefully, unselfish. And your conscience works in you day in and day out to get you to do that. However, you and I both have another nature as well. We have a nature that's actually tied to our own desires. And it continually pulls us in the direction of doing what we want to do, not what we ought to do. And that's a struggle you and I live in every single day. Now, for years, there was an elephant down at Discovery Kingdom. Any of you ever see the tug of war between the elephant and the people? Kind of didn't make it ever so many people you put on the rope. The elephant always won. Of course, the good news is the elephant in your life does not have to be your desires. That God can come into your life in a way that he can reform and reshape your desires. And that's what enables you to have a great family. Now notice how God addresses this in Philippians chapter 2. He says, when you do things, do not let selfishness be your guide. Instead, be humble and give more honor to others than to yourself. So the part that's tied to our desire, you see it up there, selfishness or pride. The part that's tied to our conscience, humility and honoring others more than ourselves. Do not be interested only in your own life. That's the desire end. But be interested in the lives of others. That's the conscience end. So that's what God calls us to. And that's where we have to start. Because if I put my own things above the concerns of my family, can I put family first? No, that's me first. So the first thing that I have to do is on this scale of which is most important, me or my family, where does it go? Got to go this way. I'm less important and subservient to the needs of my family. So here's a key understanding that comes out of that verse. How are we going to do that? By extraordinary families training and requiring every member to unselfish behavior. And I'm going to see if we can unpack that a little bit by giving us two things that we can actually do about that. Number one. What can we do? Well, parents have to see unselfishness as a privilege and a high calling, not a necessary obligation. I'm shocked, I'm amazed, I'm appalled at how often I'm with families and parents exhibit blatantly selfish behavior and then call their children to be unselfish. What are the chances of that flying? Not very good, right? Who should be modeling unselfish behavior? It ought to be mom and dad. But now listen, and I want you to be brutally honest with yourself. I'm I'm not really here to make you feel guilty, but but I am here to sort of stir up your conscience. Are you the kind of parent that says, I sacrifice for my kids all the time. I take them to school. I put food on the table. I put clothes on their back. 
I, I, I go to their soccer games. I go to their school events and activities. I mean, I give, 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 give. So when I come home, I expect a little service for me. Friend, you know what you're saying? Because I sacrifice over here, I have earned the right to be selfish over here. You know what you're training your children to do? Sacrifice a little, be selfish a lot. That's never going to fly. Now, what did God say? He He said for us to be unselfish. So you and I as parents, as grandparents, as aunties and uncles, as people of influence, every single young person, child, or whatever in our lives should be able to look at us and see consistently unselfish behavior. That is the high calling that God has given us in life. It's not a necessary obligation that we are to manifest from time to time. Did you notice how quiet it got in here? Because we struggle with that. Am I right? Yeah. But if we're going to be extraordinary families, then we have to be extraordinarily unselfish because that's where it begins. Until we're willing to do that, we will always have me above family. I don't care how many times you take your kids to school or go to a soccer game. When they know that when push comes to shove... When you think you've fulfilled all your obligations, you're ready to be selfish, then, yeah, they're going to model that. Number two, underneath that, by parents focusing the training of their children on unselfishness, not just the rules. A great family teacher uh, one time said, I thought originally the goal was to get my children to do the right thing. And about halfway through, I realized that that was the wrong goal. That the actual goal of parenting is to get my children to want to do the right things. Friends, anybody with enough fear and terror can terrorize their kids into doing the right thing. But the goal is unselfish behavior. So when you ask your children to do something and on the way they slam the door, do you realize that though they might be going to do the right thing, that they have imposed their selfish will on all the rest of the family because everybody else had to listen to their bad attitude? It's a way of imposing their self above everybody else. One of the greatest things you can do as parents is train your children to unselfish behavior. It starts with little things. You sit down at the breakfast table, and there are pancakes that are there. They're hot off of the griddle, and there are actually three pancakes there that have just come off of the griddle. And you pass it to the first child, and they take two. Are there more pancakes that are going to come? Yes, but they have said, by what they just did, me first. Because they made sure they took more off of that plate than anybody else was going to get. 
you think it's little stuff. It has to do with the pieces of chicken on the plate. I know. I, I, this is where we live. How are our children going to grow up and be unselfish if the plate comes to us first and we take two? Okay? You got to have those work together. So teaching your children and teaching yourself, training yourself to always be conscious of the big picture and to consistently, will you do it 100% of the time? No, but you better, better, you better do it over 90% of the time to consistently call yourself to unselfish behavior and consistently focus your children, not just to keeping the rules, but to having an unselfish behavior that eventually teaches them to be an unselfish person, not just having unselfish behavior. So that's number one. Putting family first is going to require that we train every member in our family to value family above their own personal desires. Now, on this card, there's a place right there on the back side that says, apply today's teaching by, and the first two little circles there, I'm going to give you the opportunity to respond to right now. I will look for and deal with areas of my own selfishness this week. Number two, I will intentionally work at training my children in unselfishness. Don't just check the box or the circle because you think it's a good idea. If you're going to check that circle, I want you to spend some prayer time this week praying about your own selfishness and to go to work on it. And then, obviously, training your children. If you don't have children at home, that one's not going to work for you. Let's go to number two. The second point I want to give you this morning is by valuing family time above all other activities. You know, there's an amazing thing that happens <clears throat> when I talk with parents. I have yet to meet a set of parents that if you say, is family important to you? I have yet to meet a set of parents who would say, no, nah, it's a ways down the list. Everybody says, my family is more important to me than anything. Um, okay. I'm going to give you some help with that this morning. We're going to learn how to value family time above all other activities. Did you know the, most, the two most important things that you can do with your children or your grandchildren or anybody else that God brings into your life? Two most important things you can do is bond and train. I want you to write that down. Two most important things you can do is bond with them and train them. When you bond with a child... You do a couple of things. Number one, you create an environment of security for them. More than, more than locks on your doors, more than a house, more than anything else you can do with or for your children if you actually bond with them heart to heart and you take the time to, to, to build that bond strong, your, child, your children or your child will grow up in a setting of great security. But here's the second thing. Once you have bonded with them and you continue to keep that bond strong, it gives you the leverage that you need in order to effectively train them. I'll tell you what happens. If you don't bond well with your children, 
about about the time they get to be preteens, early teens, mid-teens, you will have no leverage over them. And they will do whatever they jolly well please. <clears throat> I was sharing with our life group this week that when I was in high school, my father was a pastor. I had been raised in a, in a great home. But there was a point in my high school years where I was tempted to throw everything I knew out the door because I was being tempted to go into immorality and the counterculture. And there was only one thing that kept me from doing it. I had such a strong bond with my father that I looked at my father and I knew it would kill him. And in my heart of hearts, I could not do that to him. Now looking back, you think I'm glad I didn't do that? Yeah. It was the relationship that my dad had built with me that gave him leverage in the best sense of the word in my life to keep me on the straight and narrow. So bond and train. Now take a look at what God says in his word. He says, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. By the way, selfish dad calling calling kids to unselfishness, would that provoke them to anger? Absolutely, okay? Rather, bring them up in the discipline and the instruction. You put those together, that's training that comes from the Lord. And Solomon reminds us here in Proverbs 29, training a child produces wisdom, but a child left to himself. You know what that means? Without proper training. Disgraces his mother or his parents. So what does that mean? Let's draw a key understanding out of that. And that is extraordinary families understand the difference between family time and activities, children's activities. As I talk with Christian parents, more and more I'm convinced that Christian parents, most of them do not understand the difference between activities and family time. They think they are the same. They think taking the children to the movies is family time. Let's go back and analyze that for a minute. What are the two most important things we can do as parents? Bond and train. When was the last time you took your children to the movies and it was a real bonding time? If you went to the movies and it was a bonding time, you were not there with your children. You were with your girlfriend or your boyfriend and you were not watching the movie. (laughs) Am I on board with that? Yeah. Okay? You cannot bond or train your children well at the movies. By the way, that includes soccer games. Soccer games are not family time. How can you bond and train your children at a soccer match? No. In fact, music lessons are not family time. Many of the things that we think are family time and we think we're making a real investment in our children, we're actually just giving them activities. And oftentimes, I hear parents say, but you know the great thing about soccer and all the rest. And by the way, I'm not anti-soccer. I'm not anti-music lessons or any of that stuff. But often parents do that because they think by doing that, I keep my kids out of drugs. Friends, if it takes soccer to keep your kids out of drugs, you don't have a bond with your children. Did you hear what I said? Because it's true. 
I'm going to give you some statistics. And they're really, really important statistics. And, and there's so many things that we could do in application here, but I'm just going to give you one. But, uh, but it's just, it's a great thing. I said at the beginning that your family has the opportunity and the ability and the power to influence you more than anything else in your world. And that's true. And I'm going to show you how that works. Okay? So let's go to what we can do. Here's what we can do. We can have at least three family meals a week. And what I mean by that is we're going to eat three times each week around the family table, not the kitchen counter, not TV trays, okay? We're going to eat around the family table. We're going to have every member present, not just most of them, every member present, and we're going to turn off all electronic devices. Cell phones, off. TV, off. iPads, off. Game, game, little electronic game, off. Everybody on board with that? But part of off, don't we understand? Okay? And it takes all three of those, if any of the three of those is not there, it's not a family meal. Now, let me give you some statistics. Because I want to tell you that that has the power to transform your family perhaps as much as anything else you can do. More than soccer games by far. More than any other activities you can take your children to by far, decades of research have shown this. Children from families who ate fewer than three family dinners per week reported great tension and stress between family members at a rate, are you ready for this, 271% higher than those who ate three meals a week together. You know what that means? If you're not eating at least three meals like that with all three of those things around the family table, and by the way, that's not a 10-minute meal. It's longer than that when you do it right. It means that you can cut the interpersonal stress in your family in by two-thirds just by eating together. That's pretty amazing. Let me give you another one. More than a decade of research by the National Center on Addiction and Substance Abuse at Columbia University has found that the more often kids eat dinner with their families, the less likely they are to smoke, drink, or use drugs. Those are addictions. I think you got that, right? Wow, let me give you a third one. More mealtime at home, they found to be the single strongest factor. Do you get what that means? More than all the other things you do, the single strongest factor in better achievement scores, fewer behavioral problems in children of all ages. That's pretty significant. I want to give you a story and then we'll close with a couple of thoughts. One of the greatest things that God did for me was pair me up with Monica. She has been 
an amazing person in my life. And without a doubt, uh, in many ways, um, <clears throat> major factor in the stability of our family. But early on, Monica called us all together and said, we are going to eat breakfast together every morning. We are going to eat dinner together every night. Now, we didn't make it every morning and every night. But about 90% of the time. When our children were in junior high and high school, probably two nights out of the week, sometimes maybe three nights out of the week, we not only ate family dinner together with all the electronic devices off. Of course, we didn't have very many back in those days. <clears throat> so we turned off all of our electric typewriters, right? <laughs> yeah, thank you. <laughs> all the electronic devices off. We sat around the family table, and get this. We lit the candles, and we turned off the lights. And we sat around the table with a home-cooked meal with Monica and me, and our three teenage kids, and you'd be amazed at how that draws everybody in. You can afford candles. Okay? But I'll tell you what it does. It says that everybody at that table is special. Because when you eat a candlelight dinner with, any, with anybody, what are you saying? It's just us, right? And the attention gets focused in. And friends, those meals didn't last 10 minutes. They were an hour or an hour and a half. Because when you turn off the lights and you light the candles, people start talking. And when they start talking, what do they start doing? They start bonding. And when you start bonding, you end up with the leverage to train. You end up with the opportunities to train. I don't say that to scold anybody. I, I want you to see you can make an investment in your family. It pays huge dividends. As we close, one of the amazing things God has done is he has put in nature a physical picture of virtually every spiritual reality that he's put in the Bible. That's why Jesus could talk in parables because he would point to nature to illustrate, illustrate spiritual realities. Well, I want you to know that the family is like an atom. So we're going to go to science class as we close. Okay? For those of you that need a refresher course in atoms, okay, they are tiny little particles that compose everything in our universe. So let me show you how families are like atoms and what we can learn from that. <clears throat> Number one... They are the basic building blocks of our world. Everything in our physical world is composed of atoms, and, and they are the building blocks that God used to build all the physical things in our world. And the family unit is the basic building block that God has chosen to build the relational and societal units in our world. The family unit is the basic building block of society, just like the atom is the basic building block of the physical world. The second way in which they are like. Every atom in the world, all atoms are simply different combinations of three tiny particles. In the nucleus of the atom, there is 
protons and neutrons, okay? I'm going to take that to be mom and dad, and you can decide in your home which one is positive and which one's neutral, all right? But rotating around the nucleus are all the electrons. Those are the kids, right, that are just buzzing around mom and dad because they have way more energy than mom and dad. Everybody can relate to that, right? And the way you get the varied elements in our world is different combinations of those three particles. Well, guess what? That's how you get different kinds of families. You still have dad, mom, and kids. But the dad is different, the mom is different, and consequently the kids are. So all the variety is still just different combinations of those same three things. Now, the atom has tremendous power to do good. When atoms are behaving like atoms are supposed to be behaving, the world is predictable and it's harmonious. And the world can be effectively managed and taken care of and produce wonderful things. And the same thing is true with the family. It has tremendous power to do good. And when it's effectively managed, it leads to to great predictability in all of its members and a harmonious life around it. But what happens when atoms melt down? What happened to Japan recently after the earthquake and tsunami and there was a nuclear meltdown? Atoms, when they're not behaving properly, have tremendous power to be destructive. And friends, when the family melts down, same thing happens. Tremendous power. Everything in the vicinity of that nuclear reactor in Japan, what happened? People fled. They couldn't get out of there fast enough, right? And anybody who stayed, big trouble. Well, when your family melts down, guess what all your friends are going to do? Get out. Because it becomes destructive for everyone in the vicinity. So how do we apply this? Okay, Only two things are left on that card. One is, if your children are still at home, okay, I really want you to sit down as parents and say, how can we put together three family meals every week? Would that be a great investment for you to make in your family? Huge. Okay? And if your children are grown and gone, figure out how you can be a factor in, in family meals in some way. And then last of all, look around you and find a family that you really respect and you say, wow, I like how they're doing it and and ask them to partner with you in life because some of this is better caught than it is taught. Would you pray with me? Father, we sit here this morning, a bunch of families, uh, a lot of what we got in life, we didn't get to choose. It was just sort of dealt to us And yet we have the opportunity to break cycles that are destructive. We have the opportunity to take what we've been given and turn it into something beautiful. Lord, would you work in us today that we might indeed put family first by by really calling ourselves and our children to unselfish behavior. And that we might never confuse activities of the family members with real family time that we might bond and truly bond, and that we might train and truly train. Help us this week to make a huge investment in our families.
We thank you for the opportunity. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.